welcome to the Arabist podcast for August 20th, 2011. I am Ashraf Khalil, and uh, with me are the fresh off a plane and uh, slightly jet-lagged, but still game for a, for a solid podcast, uh, Isander El Amrani. Hello. And Ursula Lindsay. Hi. And uh, we apologize in advance for any uh, yawning that you hear in the background, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best to push on through. It's California been, is very far away. Very, very far away. Long, long flights and time shift and everything. It's been a solid month since we have podcasted, and really not, not much has happened. You know, nothing really going on. We've got details on Isandra and Ursula's trip to the States and how the Arab Spring is playing or not playing stateside. The Mubarak trial, of course, the uh, future of the Sinai Peninsula in terms of both Israel and just the general domestic uh, stability of Sinai, and of course Syria and Libya and the ongoing Arab Spring as it keeps rolling through the region. So let us start off with America. Sonar and Ursula, you were just in the States, mostly in California, but also in Washington, D.C., right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was it? How did the, from our era regional-centric perspective, what, how did, were Americans reacting to what's happening? Do they care? The Republican uh, presidential nominees are all sort of jostling for, for power. Is anybody talking about the Middle East right now? America number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been interesting. It's been, I mean, for us, we've, you know, we've been in, in, a, in a kind of bizarre parallel universe of Northern California and, and, and you know, where the biggest event tends to be uh, about, you know, more bike lanes and uh, uh, the latest kind of like uh, hippie initiative. Uh, so it's been very nice and, and, and very kind of surreal for us to be in, in such a kind of idyllic setting far away from all this uh, uh, from all this mess but at the same time I, mean, I, I wrote a column about this last week in National, the, the Tea Party stuff in the States and the, the showdown between uh, Republicans and the Obama administration is, is slightly insane, it, it, you know it's not Middle East insane but it's it, 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 has, it has a flavor of the third world about it uh, uh, Definitely. Is it all domestic? Are they squabbling? Does the, is the Tea Party taking Obama to task for his foreign policy? No, it's really not very much on the part of the discussion, the, the Middle East. I mean, I would say also we we weren't particularly trying to follow Middle East-related news. I wasn't, at least. Like, it was a vacation, and, and, and it was nice to have a mental break from what's going on here. So except for really big news like Mubarak going on trial, um, I certainly was not uh, trying to keep up with things. But, uh, I mean, you know, there's, there's sort of news items here and there still on the front page of newspapers about the ongoing conflicts in certain Arab countries, and, and we'd see stories from Egypt now and then. But in terms of the big political debates, the budget crisis, and then um, the, the beginning of the Republican campaign season, I didn't hear a word about the Arab world. Yeah. It's all focused relentlessly on domestic economic yeah. issues. Right. Worth noting. So other than a spike of interest, presumably for the the day of the Mubarak trial, the first session, uh, you, you were in D.C. for a while. What yeah. kind of uh, questions were you being asked? Are people worried about the rise of the Islamic Republic of Egypt or anything like that? 
I think there's a, there's a lot of concern. I mean, and you just need to see today. I think it's today's story in the New York Times front page story about the Sinai situation. There's concern about the, the direction that Egypt is headed. Uh, you know, it, in, in many ways, it's legitimate concern from the perspective of, of the United States. It's had this reliable uh, uh, ally that's. Uh, Where now everything is open to question, and, and especially, I mean, you just need to see. I think that that story was a good example of, of American establishment mentality, because it makes the. Uh, What's happening in Sinai? All about the Israeli-Palestinian. I mean, sorry, the Egyptian-Palestinian-Egyptian-Israeli uh, relationship. It's all uh, about Camp David and, and the future yeah. of it. And, and, and even you know, the, 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 it's all it, it's all seen through an Israeli lens, basically. I think what struck me is that uh, you know, on, on the Republican primary uh, uh, thing in Iowa, is that yeah, as far as I could tell, there was no foreign policy content apart from the likes. Of from Paul and the libertarian wing of the party that would like to see you know an isol- basically an isolationist foreign policy and that's that is asking the right question about you know what is it that the United States is doing still in Iraq and Afghanistan and in those places uh, uh, I mean you know this is a guy who'd like to pull out his uh, uh, military bases from the region and and, and, and things like that okay. uh, I think also, there's a debate, but it isn't a fairly kind of elite debate about uh, either, you know, especially on the Republican side, the, the argument over Libya and, and Obama's policy on Libya has been from the very beginning, you know, why is he into, why is he, the question has been basically why is he intervening abroad? And why is it in, uh, as if basically arguing that that he, he shouldn't be doing it? But then part B of it is always, and why isn't he doing it more and more effectively and sending more troops or okay. kind of things like that? So it's, it's a slightly ridiculous, like the way Republican politics are, and will continue to be becoming. For the next I mean, year it's, and a half. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's it, it, it's kind of scary. I mean, for me, it has uh, the the degree to which the Tea Party has has. Uh, uh, seems to have taken over Republican politics because I think there's a good chance that Obama may not be reelected right now. I mean, certainly the mood, he's not popular among the general elect public. He's getting blamed for the economy, which is which is bad and, and, and doesn't seem to be getting any better. Well, there's uh, a lot of ground uh, to cover, and we'll see yeah, how they feel. That's what, that's what people care about in the States. But okay. anyway. Well, now, so, domestically in Egypt, while you were gone, probably the biggest uh, yeah. story was... I have to say I'm a bit disappointed. You know, I thought you'd take better care of the country in my absence. But uh, I see I come back and the same problems and some new ones. I'm, I'm doing my best here. It's, it's a big job. I'm a bit disappointed that we missed the, the Mubarak going on trial. I, yeah. I was genuinely surprised. I had sort of been having conversations with editors about how likely it was that he would appear in court. And I remember saying, you know, well, I'll, I'll suggest people to, to cover this while I'm gone, but I'm going to be surprised if he appears, given his health, given all these things. And I think a lot of people were shocked to see him get you didn't rolled think, in. You didn't think they'd ever put him in the cage? I was, yeah. I, in the I, I would, cage. I would not have put my money on that, I think. I think for, for uh, I think there was a significant population here that, that no matter what, never really thought mm-hmm. that they would see Hosni Mubarak 
in the courtroom cage. And it was it was an amazing day just from, from being here and seeing people's reactions. Even the segment of the activist community and the revolutionaries who still you know who are who are clashing with the military who are clashing with uh, the, the the current military rulers of Egypt who view the revolution as maybe one third finished they kind of took a moment to have a bit of a victory cigar and and go wow I can't believe it there was a moment of almost relaxation I mean it was very tense outside the police academy but you could feel people going wow we did this and um, was everybody just riveted to their TVs that day oh absolutely. Absolutely, it was it was, and it was just wall to wall coverage. I did, people just couldn't believe it, and there was an element of of uh, probably well deserved sort of uh, Schadenfreude, of, of however you pronounce that word, of sort of gloating at seeing him. The picture of Mubarak uh, apparently picking his nose went around Twitter at lightning speed. It was amazing, and and and. It was. I think it was a satisfying moment for a lot of people. I think it's worth noting that it was probably also a bittersweet moment for some people, in that there was and remains a segment of the population, even those who were happy to see him go or realized that it was, you know, his time had run out, that didn't want to see him humiliated, that didn't want to see him treated like this, and they're still out there. I have an auntie in Alexandria who, every time I talk to her on the phone, she starts off with a. With a with a rant about how it's a shame that they're treating the man this way after. What do you mean treating the man this way? But you know that that attitude is there. I mean, these people were outside the courtroom, you know, in hysterics over the fact that yeah. this was done to him. And I don't understand it either. What I don't understand is that attitude seems to imply still that he is somehow representative of this country, like that he has a sort of symbolic stature that is respectable. Why? these people can't sort of cut the umbilical cord and say, like, completely deny him why there's this level of identification and... and it's, it's a mystery to many people, but it, we, would, we and the, the activists and the political actors here in Egypt would be foolish to ignore the size of that sentiment. It is something that needs to be taken into account in future days and that, that he, he still retains some degree of stature and, and it's not necessarily that everyone is an anti-Mubarak or a pro-Mubarak. You can be kind of happy that the revolution happened and still feel kind of weird about seeing him in the cage. There's a lot of those people. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he should have been humiliated further and, and, and uh, those people should have been uh, uh, had their nose shoved in it more. I mean, the revolution happened. It took place. You know, the, you, I don't think. I think the way the trials, uh, in a sense, I side more with this, the people in Tahrir who a few weeks ago wanted to see him, you know, uh, hanged in Tahrir. Uh, that's not what I support, obviously. But I, I do. So, I would have supported an exceptional tribunal, not try him in the civilian courts, not try him on, on charges about what he decided on. You know, the use of force on January twenty eighth and. A few and a couple of other charges against him, but have a special thing. This isn't. An You're ordinary. not on board with him being run through no. the, yeah. the, the the mainstream judiciary. Yeah, and, and I think actually the, the, this whole line that you had coming out, of the, especially of the West, uh, you know, of praising Egypt for the, observing the rule of law and, and trying uh, Mubarak and so on. I think it's, that's bullshit. I think you know, there's been a revolution. The rule of law has been broken. The constitution was. Suspended, the president was brought down. Uh, I think it would have been there would have been more moral legitimacy 
and I think it would have been more effective to have an exceptional tribunal. You know, obviously, I'm not comparing him to the Nazi regime, but let's say mm-hmm. Nuremberg trials uh, come to mind, or uh, I, I'm not sure what other cases. But isn't that ignoring been. the fact that throughout the Mubarak years, the Egyptian judici- judiciary did manage to hold on to a large chunk of its legitimacy and credibility? It was spotty. It was kind of judge to judge, but. If the Egyptian judiciary had been completely co-opted by the Mubarak regime, they never would have needed to invent state security courts. They never would have needed to create these but, military tribunals. I, I, they I, couldn't I, trust the judges well, I'm to not, stick to the script. I'm not putting the, the, the ability of the judge uh, in charge of the case uh, in question. I, I, that's not an issue. Although this regime, mind you, did fight a war against the judiciary, especially since, since uh, late 2005. Right. But uh, the fact uh, that they uh, needed to fight the war against the judiciary sure. proves that uh, there it, were large pockets of the judiciary that were independent. It's not about it's uncorrupted. Not, that, that's absolutely true. But it's not about whether the, the, the Egyptian judiciary is capable of trying Mubarak. I okay. think it could have had a panel of judges or or uh, uh, heading this exceptional tribunal. I'm saying that 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 trying him over specific charges that have to do with events this year uh, is. You know, like cutting off communications—that's one charge. Like the the uh, giving the green light for the use of uh, live ammunition force. and lethal force uh, uh, misses the bigger point about you know he should be put on trials for thirty years uh, uh, of, of of dictatorship. And it, it doesn't have to be something that's on the books. Okay. You know, uh, I, I I think just like the transition so far has missed the opportunity to have a real trans- transitional justice process to have it was a reconciliation commission and so on. It's missed the point here in having a bigger tribunal. That being said, the image of Mubarak on TV in itself was quite a powerful thing. It was powerful not just for Egypt. I think it was powerful regionally. I think I think he really gave you know certainly uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria and others uh, something to think about. It was genuinely, I mean, the word unprecedented gets tossed around a little bit lightly, but uh, it was unprecedented. Mm -hmm. In in the modern Middle East, the Saddam Hussein trial took place under military occupation, and for better or worse, is largely regarded throughout large segments of the Arab world as not a true thing. And the fact that you had the guards chanting pro Muqtada Sadr uh, you know, Shia chants as he was being hanged yep. really kind of gave that an air of more yep. vengeance than justice. But I have to say, in the Saddam Hussein trial, it's, it's the execution that kind of wrecked the trial because the trial took the trial did, did seem to have a lot yeah. more. Legitimacy. I mean, they, it's not like they didn't allow him to speak. It's not like they, you know, he couldn't have a defense uh, and, and so on. It's the way he was ex- executed for political purposes because you know, the, the, the government of Iraq at the time saw it convenient to, to, to execute him immediately. And something that unfortunately is going to be perhaps missing from the Egyptian trial is going to be the kind of that kind of coverage because now they've decided, right, that after televising these first two sessions, that it is going to be a closed case. So they sort of, I think, for political reasons, decided to show the Egyptian public that he was standing trial, but then we're unfortunately not going to have you know the fascinating experience mm-hmm. of actually being able to follow the arguments and and that is a big question about the process yeah. like i would really like to see what goes on there yeah it's still not clear i mean uh, i guess we'll have the accounts of the uh, of the lawyers that are filing 
uh, 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 these uh, charges against against Mubarak. I don't know whether there'll be any other form of public record, whether journalists will be able to take notes on the trial. Uh, Now, the reason, there's a good legal reason for why it's not being put on TV anymore. I mean, even you know, lawyers tied to the human rights movement here mm-hmm. have said that, yeah, it's because witnesses, if you put it on TV, witnesses can influence each other. Yes. So, 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 so there's a legal, but this is precisely why you don't do it in a normal court. This is precisely why you do it in an exceptional tribunal where that may matter less, because it's not about, I mean, you know, the thing with this trial is that now, if, if, even if you can't, you know, what happens if, and this is a concern of lawyers at the moment, you can't get enough, you can't meet the burden of proof, the requirement to, 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 to prove that he gave the order to fire uh, and so on. What if you can't get that paperwork or you can't get the testimony or the testimony becomes invalid or, or it's contradictory uh, from, from officials around him, uh, as it has already been? Uh, what if, you know, does, does can this judge really acquit Mubarak on technical grounds? I don't think he can. I mean, it, it, it kind of. And so it, then, why are we why are we talking about which, the independence which gets of the, the heart, Which gets to the heart of whether or not he can actually have a fair trial, and whether or not that even matters to. He can't. It doesn't matter. I think. He and that's why this should have been an exceptional tribunal. Okay. So we should have also given you an, op- an opportunity for a much vaster and more informative accounting of all the policies of his regime, which mm-hmm. is another thing that you may never get and probably they didn't want to see happen because that would have delved into all sorts of things and then touched also upon the, the military's role in, in it throughout his regime. But it would have been, I think, better for Egypt if you could have had a really in-depth um, investigation of all the practices that he oversaw yeah. for, for years before. Well, even if not an investigation, just, uh, you know, people talking, uh, having a tribunal raise these issues and, and people testifying about them in, yeah. a, uh, uh, you know, in, in a televised trial, I think would have been uh, a powerful thing. But, you know, again, we're getting something that was... Uh, a concession that was kind of, uh, 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 forced, out uh, forced out of the scaff of the of the military council, and possibly but, rushed, and possibly yeah. sort of like rushed into that cage before all the evidence yeah. was ready, before the prosecutors, whose whose competence we have yet to really see or or be proven, could have been ready. Now. Okay, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Mubarak trial as it continues for for the the ensuing months. Let's transition to the Sinai Peninsula, which has suddenly become, for multiple reasons, uh, a real focal point. Uh, uh, As of last week, and uh, you know, we we had situations where there were attacks uh, within Sinai, domestic situations, possibly involving kind of tribal elements or criminal gangs but or criminal tribal gangs or whatever but 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 situations that proved that in the absence of a fully functioning police force that the government was not fully in control of Sinai anymore which may have been the case even before they've been barely in control of Sinai for quite some time right they've had yes. a very hostile relationship with the Bedouin tribes that 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 live there there's been terrorist attacks in Sinai 
uh, before the revolution, and since there's been half a dozen attacks on this uh, oil, a gas pipeline. And you had Israel. situations before the revolution where such and such police station would arrest the wrong group of tribal guys, and the tribe would go burn down the police station. I mean, it was not, as you said, pre-revolution. It was a month-to-month situation as far as whether the government fully controlled all of Sinai. And, I mean, we've all traveled to Sinai, and it is this, this, this sort of strange place where you go through dozens of police checkpoints to then reach these enclaves of, these, these tourist enclaves that feel like a sort of different... Uh, Different part of the country, and and then but to get there, you, you sort of go through this strange uh, police monitored no man's land, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 not only have the tribes attacked police stations, but there's been like incredible human rights abuses in the investigations of terrorist attacks there, yes. and whole villages rounded up, and it, this is this is a long simmering problem. You have the border with Gaza, which represents. Uh, in the in the mind of the Egyptian security establishment, and probably genuinely a, a serious security threat to Egypt. Um, you have the relationship with Israel getting played out there. That's the other thing that's happened. Perhaps you want to talk about that. That is the stage two of the Sinai crisis, which has kicked in about two three days ago, where you had some sort of, and I'm I'm going to be vague here because frankly, it, I've been I still don't fully understand what happened, and I've been trying where you had some sort of multi-stage attack inside Israel in uh, the tourist uh, town of Ailat, which is just over the Egyptian border town of Taba. And um, several people were killed. A bus was attacked. It it appeared to be coordinated uh, in multi-phases. Israel immediately retaliated. And apparently, in the course of that retaliation, and the full facts are not even close to coming out yet, there's so many competing stories, several Egyptian policemen in Sinai were killed. No, and the attacks were carried out allegedly by Egyptians or by Palestinians who traveled through Egypt into Israel. Is that even clear? That's not even clear. The general presumption, I have not heard a lot of people say that it was Egyptians doing it. I have not even heard that allegation. But honestly, it is so murky that um, it, 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 it's a mess. The, so the, 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 what we do know, what we have most firmly in hand is that the re- reaction to this incident has been dramatic in Egypt in that for the last two nights you have had very large protests outside the Israeli embassy in Cairo and, and by outside the Israeli embassy, I don't mean two or three blocks away, I mean outside the Israeli embassy in Cairo. People are, they are closer than they have ever been physically to that building. My, my home, I basically have to pass this to, to, to get home every day. And I saw it last night. I saw it while driving here an hour ago to the subterranean lair of the Arabist to record this podcast. They are serious and the army is arrayed and uh, they're, 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 there's uh, armored personnel carriers all over the place. There is a very angry and very motivated crowd. I mean, we're not talking tens of thousands of people, but we're talking maybe 5,000, and they're angry, and they're feeling confrontational. And the last time there was a protest outside the Israeli embassy, which was in May, I May 15th. May 15th, the, the army responded harshly. You know, they, they sort of let it go for a while, and then out came the tear gas. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people got rounded up. And um, so far, as of right now, as of this recording, 
on Saturday evening, the 20th? Friday evening. Saturday. Uh, is it Saturday? It is. It's Saturday. Oh, well. Um, it's the 20th. We know that. There, there, there is, there, as of when I passed the Israeli embassy an hour ago, there was... It was the right after Iftar, so the crowds were a little bit thinned, but there was still about a thousand people there, and the numbers typically swell in the evening. And no, when their and their demand, I mean, the demand of the protesters outside the embassy is what they want: the closure of the embassy. They want drastic changes in the Egyptian-Israeli relationship. What have they articulated? What they're Presumably they want all of the above. What they've articulated is get that damn flag down off of that building. <laughs> okay. Uh, they haven't really gone beyond that, but, but it is... It is, it is. Uh, and every prominent political personality and presidential candidate has put out a statement. You know, I mean, I mean three, three Egyptian border police were killed. Uh, they were killed by Israelis. We've, we've had you know, hesitation, I think, by the Israelis to to uh, uh, accept that version of the story, but I think just just a few hours ago, actually, uh, 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 Israeli, uh, was he, you know, Minister of Defense, uh, Ehud Barak, uh, you know, says, says that Israel regretted what happened. It's still not, not super clear, and uh, what did happen, and, and I think the, the contradictory statements made by the military uh, here in Egypt was also did not help the situation. Uh, I, I just want to step back things a little bit uh, about Sinai, what's happening in Sinai, because there's a lot of concern about this. And, and, uh, and, and, and it's, uh, it's quite complicated issues, because, because what's happened in Sinai is, on one level, since the revolution, there has not been any effective policing outside of the very center of El Arish, basically, which is the capital of northern Sinai. Uh, the, the, not only was the police station destroyed there during the revolution, as it was in, in, in uh, many other places, but you, you, you've had actual regular violence. I spoke to just just before I, I left on vacation. I, I spoke to someone who lives in Arish, and uh, basically you had tribes coming in, settling scores between themselves. Uh, open carrying of weapons on the streets, uh, a lot of lawlessness, a lot of people, a lot of Nile Valley Egyptians who were doing business in Arish not being able to come back because locals are not letting them. You've had, including people who work with NGOs, business people, uh, uh, and so on. You've had a spike in smuggling too, right? I mean, of all kinds. Well, you've had, you, you've had, you've had, you know, of course, for a long time, and uh, augmented by the blockade on Gaza, uh, a, a smuggling economy that's you know completely out of control. Uh, you have just 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 tiffs between various. Locals, that's on one level. Now, on the second level, you have the issue of uh, common law criminals, people who escaped from jails uh, during the revolution. Some of them taking to Sinai and and and, and uh, 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 hiding there. You have banditry, a lot of people stealing cars on the roads. You have Sinai devolving up. into the Wild West, yeah. basically. And then awesome. and and then on the th- on the third level, now you have th- these these uh, jihadist groups that. Operating there now, it could be that their importance is exaggerated. But we're talking about, you know, now one of the person who who, who escapes from jail is, is apparently is, is uh, Osama bin Laden's former doctor, 
who's who's in Sinai. You've had people making statements in the name of an Al Qaeda in in the Sinai Peninsula and some other group calling itself Takfir with Hishra, with, with, with uh, excommunication and exile, with, with, which is uh, uh, actually the, the, the name of one of the original jihadist groups in the seventies. Uh, you have a lot of things happening, and it's not clear. To a degree, some of it may be manipulation, and, and uh, you know, kind of like so. Uh, because uh, as the blogger Hassan uh, Hamalawi, our friend from Arabawi.org, pointed out, I think a few days ago, only three months ago, the army was saying there is a, well, no Al Qaeda in Sinai, and now suddenly it's all about Al Qaeda in Sinai. Right. Um, but you do have these jihadist groups. I mean, they're probably. Uh, quite an embarrassing situation for, for Hamas because there has been suggestions before that some of the people operating in Sinai were trained in Gaza. Not by Hamas probably, but by the, the, some of the clans and, and jihadist factions operating in Gaza that, that usually Hamas you know, has cracked down on. Uh, but you have this... this on the one hand, Hamas has been very, very supportive of uh, Egypt in the last uh, in the last few months, and you know is now saying full collaboration with Egypt. On the other hand, is uh, apparently now there's a, a bit, the Egyptians want some people extradited from Gaza, and it's going to be difficult for Hamas to do that vis-à-vis its own domestic uh, 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 public opinion and the local kind of politics of clans and families in Gaza. Uh, you have, I think, the, the, the Israeli dimension. Where I think uh, you know, I'm not sure. I, th- I think the, the Israeli, just reading the Israeli press, the Israelis are pretty alarmed by uh, what's going on. Not just because, and because it's not the first time this happens. You know, a group may have, at least this is their story, and we only have. This is only Israeli officials saying this that, that these people came in through the uh, from Egypt. Uh, so, that, and that's a long-standing con- concern that that, that the Palestinian groups may come from Gaza. From the Gaza-Egypt border into the uh, into the, 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 the Israel-Egypt border to right. the south, uh, well, so as you said, know, killing those seven people, some of them uh, soldiers, some of them civilians. Uh, well, as you but said, the, the, the bigger picture, yeah. the bigger picture is that the Israelis are alarmed. Yeah. When the Israelis get alarmed, large chunks of Washington D.C. Yeah. gets alarmed. Sure, sure. And let's not forget, by the way, that the Israelis have used this to retaliate. You know, to to, to go on, on another uh, air bombing raid in in Gaza targeting various people killing at least 15 uh, uh, people I think which yesterday. inevitably inflames uh, uh, local passions yeah. which leads us to back to our current yeah. embassy standoff and possibly leads us into what could be a post-revolutionary push to rewrite Camp David it's 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 not unthinkable it, it, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine but what what's happening now is is you, know, you, you, you are getting people that are seizing this moment to make a push against the fact that Egypt and Israel have a peace treaty with each other, the fact that there is an Israeli embassy here. And it's not the first time it's happened. It's not even the first time since the revolution. But these guys have some momentum. They were going last night until like 4 a.m. And they're, they're, they're going to be back out there tonight. And yeah. we'll see... And we, and we saw the, the Egyptian uh, ambassador to Israel now being recalled. 
Now that could be a temporary thing, but but and it's it's been announced on television that it was announced on television this morning. But but I was I was talking to a wire reporter today and uh, who's very frustrated by the way the military has handled communications on this because they announce they let things slip and they get announced by the official news agency and, and and get on TV and then a few hours later sometimes they're denied by the military. Right. So you know we're not 100 percent sure that this is. Uh, 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 going on, but I mean, definitely, I think the the, the, the Israelis will have to react uh, uh, to this because uh, you know, at, at this particular time in the current Egyptian political context, the killing of three border guards is a big deal because it provides an, an opportunity to people who hate Israel anyway to to kind of uh, push that point, and, and just because you know we're we're in this wave of nationalism now, uh, uh, and 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 the killing of in what circumstances it's, it's not clear of, of uh, Egyptians by um, any foreigner is not going to be uh, taken lightly. The only thing you can say on the other hand is that there's been really strong anti-Israeli sentiment in Egypt ever since Camp David and perhaps historically much Well, before strong- Camp David. Yeah, that's, <laughs> true. that's true. And perhaps historically much stronger you know, in the 60s and 70s than even today and, and Egypt has pushed through and held to this accord against, very much in the teeth of popular sentiment. Well, that know. was the dynamic. That was the dynamic for years and years, is that the Israeli government did not really have to deal with the Egyptian people. They had to deal with the Egyptian government, and they counted on the Egyptian government to stick to the deal and control their people. That dynamic is changing, and I'm sure that's terrifying for the Israelis. It might, I mean... But is a foreign policy that accurately reflects the will of the people a bad thing? To be continued? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's up for, for people here to decide. I, I, th- I think you have to be careful not to look at a black and white thing, even though the discourse is sometimes black and white, like we don't want to have anything to do with Israel and mm-hmm. so on, and these protests is... is whether these people realistically want is to minimize, I don't think, obviously, no one wants to Egypt go to war against Israel again or anything like that, but... but um, yes, it is worth noting that that's really not out there. Is, is how minimal can the relationship with Israel get, you know, if you, if you don't have ambassadors anymore, although some, I think, some, some people will make the case that that would be a breach of Camp David. If you actually end, formally end, rather than just, yeah. you know, uh, temporarily recall the ambassadors. And um, wouldn't the, a big loser in, I mean, if you did, if you did renegotiate or drop out of Camp David, isn't the U.S. aid, which which overwhelmingly is is military aid to the Egyptian military, contingent on that? So the military would be a big loser. If they backed out of this accord, the military right? might be the primary loser. You can find a lot is made about the the, the, the Camp David money and, and how important it is to to Egypt economically. And you can find a lot of people. I think our, our good friend uh, Anabawi uh, will, will you know will passionately speak to about how the Camp David money is overrated, about how the the tangible benefits to the non military Egyptian people. Is overcomable and 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 uh, 
and and worth doing without, frankly. Well, of course. I mean, you know, uh, Egypt doesn't need uh, the the two hundred some million dollars of of uh, aid. A good part of which is recycled through American NGOs and and, yes. and and so on. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to have it. The one point two billion dollars in military procurement and and so on. Well, that, that that's something that the army might miss. But even then, I think, frankly, it's not uh, absolutely uh, essential. I think that the army sees the military aid as a symbol of the relationship, and it's the relationship that they're attached to, because. You know what's the alternative, really? Just one last point on on on, uh, on this is that you have to you know there's always a conspiracy theory in the back uh, of my mind about what's when it comes to Sinai and Camp David. So the military, the Egyptian military, has a historic goal since '79, since the treaty was signed of regaining full sovereignty over Sinai, which it doesn't now. It doesn't have full sovereignty and the ability to deploy at its will military troops to the the last part of Sinai alongside the right. Israeli it's worth noting, border. For, for those who don't know that under terms of Camp Sinai, there is a line drawn down basically the middle of the peninsula. Then after that line, the army mm-hmm. is not allowed to be there. It can only be police. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think... I think that given the current situation, the, the Israelis would be more than happy to grant a waiver to 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 let the the, the, the military. Well, I don't think they'd be happy about that. I think they, I, I, feel like I, I think they're not happy, they know. They're not happy any about any of this. But, but what they're, would more, they're more scared getting? about the, the, they're more scared scared about the government losing control of Sinai than the military taking full control of Sinai. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I can't think just on on last note just that that. Personally, I think that the, it is absolutely crucial that, that the military or the government uh, 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 does retake control of Sinai, not just in terms of, obviously, you know, fighting any armed uh, groups there, but also uh, clamp down on the smuggling, not you know, because the smuggling uh, hurts Israel or benefits Hamas, but because you can't have that going on. You know, the lawlessness of Sinai is partly due to the tolerance for, you know, because and, and to this idea that Bedouins the Bedouins of Sinai and these, these, these tribes that are, that, that are uh, uh, living there which have been neglected by the central government for years is true you know, should get a free pass when it comes to criminal activity because it's not just uh, arms smuggling and smuggling to Gaza, it's also you have a lot of human traffic to Israel of, 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 of uh, yes. Eastern European prostitutes, of uh, sub-Saharan African uh, migrant workers and, and so on I th- all of this ha- I'm for actually a quite strong hand on Sinai I think that, that, that you do have to you can't allow these tribes to to uh, uh, do what they want in this way. You have to retake control of the situation and impose the rule of law. And, and, and generally, the, the, it is the a bad. The problem thing. is that there's no. I mean, the rule of law. There's nobody qualified. There's nobody with the, with the credibility or the or even the tools to impose the rule of law because that's not what the police actually upholds in the country. I mean, this is the problem you have is mm-hmm. sure. is, is is that every time that they try to impose, quote-unquote, the rule of law, all they do is, like, crack down indiscriminately and carry yeah. out terrible human rights abuses. So They have to be more clever about uh, uh, about doing it. But at the end of the day, whether it's democratic or not, you had a government in place. This government had a duty to impose order, and it didn't. It's under law and order. Although. That's right. <laughs> Lays the snack down. 
Okay. Now, for, for on the regional picture, you know, those of us who were expecting a quiet Ramadan have uh, have been slightly surprised. I would say we have things are kicking off and staying hot and heavy in both Syria and Libya. You have ongoing serious violence, clashes, crackdowns all throughout Syria, combined with a renewed diplomatic push where the U.S. Uh, most of Europe has officially come out and said that Bashar al-Assad should go. Finally, months late. Months late, but here we are. Uh, and in Libya, you have, after months of a stalemate, suddenly uh, the colonel, the king of kings of Africa, seems to be on the ropes a little bit. I mean, it might be a little early. He's, he's amazingly resilient, but the, the Western Front has opened up and re- rebel troops are pushing from, from the West instead of the East and, and closing in on, on Tripoli. Uh, let's start with Syria. What, 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 uh, where do we think this goes and how soon and how fast? I mean, you do have a situation unlike Egypt where the army, at least large chunks of the army, is willing to attack its own civilians, and that changes the game considerably. What I found interesting is that since uh, this, uh, the King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia came out and you know against Bashar, pretty much, which, mm-hmm. which was maybe more important than the West coming out against him. Yes. Uh, 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 just reading some of the Saudi press, uh, like Shaq al-Assad and Hayat and so on, you have articles praising um, the army coups of the 1950s in Syria. <laughs> you know, basically, allegorically, talking about, oh, you know, why can't there be a providential general who kind of saves the day? And, you know, that, 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 that's probably the least troublesome scenario for a, a transition in Syria, you know, because it's now become about the Assad family. That's that's why it is. it's about Bashar and Maher. And so Although I, I was also surprised to read this op-ed by the son of Rifat al-Assad, who was the brother of Bashar's father, Hafez, the former president, and, and the guy who, who, who carried out the Hama massacre in 1982. Mm-hmm. So now you have the segment of the now London-based faction of the Assad family. You know that's, that's all pro-democracy and and, and, and wants to see uh, uh, just angling for a spot just right? angling for you know you you, you, you you have the Syrian uh, Ahmed Shalabi's uh, kind of creeping out of the woodwork. Oh, that's to be expected. Uh, I know, but it's depressing. <laughs> but uh, well, well, one side note on Syria that I that I that I wanted to bring up is that there there is a town in Syria called Homs, and uh, you know, Sandra, you 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 were uh, in Syria as a young man, and uh, the, 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 Homs, Homs is where Homs is is the upper Egypt of Syria. It's, Homs, it's, Homs it's is the world. butt of, of Syrian yeah. jokes. The the way that Egyptians tell Saidi jokes. The way that Americans, I think, used to tell Polak jokes, I don't think they do anymore, but mm. the Homsawi jokes were the, you know, they were the backwards kind of dumbass country cousins and all, you know, they really, they really kind of like, were, they, they, they never got much respect. And Homs has been one of the centers. The, 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 the Homsawis have, have fought bravely and paid the price. So uh, props. Long overdue props to the Homsawis. Keep the, the faith, guys. The whole country has kept it up in a way that I find just absolutely awe-inspiring. I mean, in in, in the face of this, uh, in the face of this violence, and but 
I don't know. The tide may finally be turning. I think we're we're, we're all waiting to see in the next week or mm. two. Just, I mean, the the statements from other countries seem really significant in the sense that they're obviously is a sense that the assets just cannot yeah. hold on, even on the part of people who would have liked to see them stay because they're afraid of the chaos that will follow. Mm. And and, and you've had significantly, you have the EU now talking about stopping uh, uh, buying oil from Syria, which is 95% of Syria's exports. Yeah. And at the same, but, uh, you know, at the same time, you've had, you, you also have this talk of now even closer... Uh, Iranian support for Syria of uh, Iranian base it's not clear where this is going because I, I mean you, you don't see you know unlike Libya you don't have uh, uh, no fly zone you don't have a, a uh, external support being facilitated you don't have any real restraint on the behavior of the Syrian well military, I don't know if you had their own willingness to participate sure, or not sure and, and, and perhaps, I mean, it's going to come down to their own survival. I mean, I think even if this lingers on, even if the 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 the, the uprising is, is subdued by just the sheer amount of violence they throw at it, and or you know, continues on at a slower pace, you have a real possibility, I think, of an internal coup. You know, maybe not now, but in six months. Well, moving on to Libya, we, 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 we have, you know, what, what appears to be dramatic developments. In, in, the know, gates in, of Tripoli. The gates of Tripoli, and it, it, it happened very quickly. I mean, I'm sure there was, there was months of attrition and weakening of the Gaddafi regime before then, but all of a sudden, after months of stalemate, the Western Front opened up and, made, and has made significant gains. And, and, you know, it's a little too early to tell, and... Uh, Gaddafi has proven to be more resilient than many of us thought, but I think it's not too early to ask the question. I mean, do can you see Colonel Gaddafi cutting a deal for his own safety and leaving, or is he, uh, you know, down to the last bullet guy? And if he would leave, who would have him? Yeah, I, you know, there's been some commentary about this. I've read that saying, "Oh, Gaddafi would never leave the country. He's too old. He's too." I don't know. After his first I think couple speeches, I was I was saying that I was saying that he's ne- this is he's never going to leave. They're they're going to have to kill him. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I, th- I think I think Gaddafi is, is less mad and more ruthless and cynical, more pragmatic than, than pragmatic than. I mean, this is. A, it, it, I think it depends what cocktail on dr- of drugs he's on that day. No, I'm, sure, day yeah. I'm sure you could give him enough downers to get him onto a plane. Do, 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 this do, is all happening without the busty Ukrainian nurse. Keep in mind that has to seriously affect the decision making. It, it, it must be, but if you look at uh, Gaddafi's uh, track record. Uh, you know, after uh, this is a guy who spent a good decade, the whole 1990s, trying to get where he did get in the early 2000s in, in terms of having the sanctions lifted and 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 uh, getting together with the with the West. Reintroducing this, 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 to the know, national, national state, international. State. This is the guy that, whatever crazy talk he 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 was making, that once. He saw after nine eleven when he saw the opportunity to uh, cut a deal to cut a deal with the Bush administration and with the British and so on. Uh, went ahead and did so. I mean, he, he I, I, I would he fight to the last to the last um, 
uh, uh, moment of pride. I'm not. I'm not so sure. The big issue now is that since, if it does seem as the news reports, and I think we have to be a bit cautious about the news reports because a lot of information is coming from the rebels mm-hmm. and 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 isn't independently verified. Um, if you know Tripoli is surrounded, then it's, it's about how how much of a fight Tripoli will put up. How much will the regime really? Uh, uh, get its supporters, if many remain, uh, to uh, uh, to fight, you know, street by street to re- to, to uh, keep control of Tripoli, and this could be used as a negotiating tactic. The problem is, is there anyone to negotiate with among the rebels for? You know, this has been, in a sense, the problem of NATO support for the rebels. Is that once NATO uh, came in and provided their support and so on, it gave them less incentive to negotiate and avoid some of the violence. And we've seen several uh, attempts at diplomatic negotiations by by uh, the African Union, by others, uh, basically be ignored. You know, now, of course, there was no reason that. To believe that Gaddafi was negotiating in good faith and so on, but you you, you, you do have this problem of of what the, will, will the rebels uh, uh, sell for, and and that's I think you know we, we need not only to look at Gaddafi but also look at what is it that they want? Will they want to come in triumphantly and trick to take Tripoli, or are they willing to negotiate not with the Gaddafis? But with the regime remnants that are going to stay, they are not going to get on a plane and leave, or, or whatever is going to happen. You know, exactly. I, I think. That, and, and if you if you look at what's happening inside the rebel movement with the assassination of uh, uh, what's his name, Abdul Zoud, uh, uh, that, that that's a big question: is what, where do where do the rebels rebels want right now? Yeah, I think this uh, brings us to the end of the podcast. Uh, Ashraf is to go, so. Uh, and we couldn't carry on without you. We couldn't carry on. <laughs> we couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, but we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back next week, and uh, the blogging is going to start resuming to a more normal level after the hiatus of the last few weeks. And uh, it's worth noting that that technical previous technical difficulties have been pretty much fixed as far as right. iTunes is under. You can now go to iTunes, subscribe to the Arabist podcast. You will get brand new uh, episodes uploaded as soon as they go live. So, uh, so right. join in, folks. Go and leave a comment about the pop- podcast. Rate it. It helps us uh, get more visibility inside the iTunes uh, ecosystem. Uh, also, if you have any questions, requests, uh, you can always write to us at podcast at arabis.net. We'll be answering, I think, one of the questions we've gotten in the past on the next podcast. We're thinking of talking about some of the new parties popping up in Egypt. Of course, this depends week by week on all the events in the region, but uh, this is on the agenda. So we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.